What's up, guys? Doug Polk here, and welcome to today's podcast. We are joined by a guest I've been very excited to have on for some time. A lot of great topics for us to dive into, including his recent crushing winning heads-up streak on the duel. Uh, and then also, I want to chat a little bit with Phil about a big hand we recently played in high-stakes poker. And then I also want to talk about World Series of Poker and everything else poker-related right here today with Phil should be a good one. Uh, I want to thank you guys for joining today. If you missed out last week, we had a uh, podcast on the recent huge cryptocurrency hack. It was quite a good one. Uh, we went a little bit in depth there from more of a technical perspective. If you're interested in that, feel free to check it out. And we're going to have Brian Pellegrino joining the podcast, uh, most likely in two or three weeks. We're still figuring out exact timelines here, but he'll be joining to talk uh, primarily some cryptocurrency stuff, but we're also going to mix in, talk about the bot, the, sorry, the heads up challenge I recently played. He helped me create all of the ranges and whatnot that I had going. Okay. Without further ado, let's welcome to the podcast today, the man himself, himself, number one, all time world series of poker bracelet holder, Phil Helm. You thank you for joining the pod today. Yeah. Cool, Doug. All right. A couple things. First off, this is supposed to be like a 90 minute thing. So of course, you know me, not, not, not afraid to promote, promote, promote. Bring a little brain feel. Hold on. Let me get a swig of this on air. Right? Very nice. Perfect. <laughs> All right. This I'm not being paid for, but I know this is going to be. It's a wonder. I'm, I can't believe I've gained weight. I wonder why. Oh, wait. I'm eating raw chocolate chip cookie dough. Pillsbury. See it? Pillsbury. <laughs> wow. We're, it's a shocker. It's a shocker that I've gained weight. You know, it's, one of my it's, nephews is in town. He said, like, the whole tube's 4,000 calories. Good. Um, it, and then I have a little string cheese. Okay. That's it. I'm just, I'm not promoting slash not promoting, just having fun and goofing off. It's it's nine forty five a.m. and you're getting your day started with a was that a full tube of raw cookie dough? Is that no that's, no no? I that's mean, pretty apex predator, Phil. I have to say, I cut just a little slice. <laughs> oh, okay, just <laughs> kind a little of a slice. Thick, listen, I wouldn't be eating this honestly, except I have to do your podcast. And I just finished. I don't know how they kept me on the phone an hour and a half. I did something for the Telegraph. It's coming out in a month or two for their uh, fame and fortune column on Sunday. It's supposed to be a massive column, so. Promote, promote, promote. So I'm working hard. I was in Italy last week, so that's why I'm up so early. I haven't been up before noon in the States in a long time. You normally like to sleep in, so sometimes even into tournaments that are starting. I've seen that happen a, a time or two. And just, just for the audience, I, I told Phil normally when guests come on, I say, you know, feel free to promote what you're up to. I said, Phil, I don't even think I need to let you know. I'm sure you'll do a great job of letting the, the people know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> promote, 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 sell, sell, sell. All right. You know, Negranu, so, Negranu, Negranu always speeds into that. I mean, it's like, I'm Phil yeah. Helmy with I represent Brain Fuel. I wrote a book, Positivity. I wrote the New York Times bestselling book, you know, Poker Brat. I mean, excuse me, uh, play poker like the pros and da 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 Promote, 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 sell, sell, sell. Very well, that's very good. It's a very good way to get your brand out there, build your reputation, build your name. So you definitely do a great job of that. Um, let's 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 kick this off and talk about the the heads up duel on Poker Go because this has this is turning into just a bloodbath. And I, and when and when they built the format, I'm not sure if they realized what they were just doing was creating the Phil Helmy stomping grounds where people come in and <laughs> give their money to you and then leave. But what 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 number of matches have you won now? It's it's I mean you beat Antonio three times I believe right, and then you beat Negrano three times, and then I think you played um, his name is Nick Wright I believe seven in a row on high stakes duel. I think I've won twenty six out of twenty eight of my last matches. I won a heads up tournament on the East Coast. Um, the last heads up tournament I played in, I think I played in a serious tournament where Kerry Katz beat me. So 
if we if if we take Carrie at his word, he's not a pro. I've won twenty six out of twenty seven matches against the pros, which is just crazy. But you know, uh, and, and obviously some luck involved. But it, it always kind of it's interesting to me when then I tell people, hey, I've won twenty six out of twenty eight matches, and then I say you're a three to two underdog in this match, and I say I won twenty six out of twenty eight matches, twenty six out of twenty seven against pros, and they say you're a three to two underdog. You're a three to two underdog. So I know, you know, um, the Negreanu match, it was particularly interesting. He attacked my legacy. And um, I will tell you something, Doug, you, you are, you, I will tell you this, you personally, there's a part of you that will root, don't answer. There's a part of me that will root against me. Sometimes you root against kind of the all-time greats. Sometimes you root against Tom Brady or whatever. That's fair. You know, maybe you want to see the blow up, but there's a lot of people that might have rooted against me. But Negreanu made sure he took the whole poker world, like a million people, and threw them all into my column. Thank you, Daniel. By trying to take away the legacy that I've earned. Like, I mean, you can't take that away. Jason Kuhn, if you ask him, he, he told me he admits I'm the greatest poker tournament player of all time right now. I might not be in five years. I might not be in 10 years. You know, but now, I, now I've, I've earned that. And then Daniel tried to take that away from me. And I think that's BS. And, uh, you know, and I was kind of upset with that. And uh, I was also determined to to, you know, I mean, even, if, even after I beat Daniel the third match, I said, you're one of the all time greats. All I said to him was, you're one of the all time greats. You're one of the all time greats. The first match, he was like condescending, like he was going to pick me apart. Oh, I'm right on schedule. Oh, I'm ahead of schedule. I mean, it was really brutal, you know, but at the same time, I'm like I was expecting it. I'm like, OK, this is even more brutal than I expected. And, you know, he just didn't look very good doing that. But I can thank him for uh, driving, you know, every pro solidly into my corner just for that. Those few matches, you can go again, you can go against rooting. You can go back to rooting against me occasionally, Doug. But I mean, I, I don't I was upset and he, you know, and, you know, he really kind of got the best out of me. In fact, that first match, I'll be honest, Doug, we're talking this first match against him. I literally just found out about NFTs. I talked to six CEOs that weekend. High power, like, okay, now I'm bragging. Six CEOs uh. I talked to. <laughs> I met with Sue Kim, who just spent $4 billion a few weeks before buying assets Monday night. And I came into that match exhausted. And also because he was attacking me and because I felt like Nick Shulman missed some stuff. My mind was editing what exactly I'm going to say to Daniel, what exactly I'm going to say to Nick. So I had two speeches I was writing the whole time and I was super, super busy and I came in tired, you know, and, you know, I had, I had just, you know, two days before I came up with the apex predator speech and, uh, you know, because I limped with King Jack and, you know, and, and Antonio raised and he had King queen and I folded, I limped with King 10 and Antonio raised with King queen and I folded and, uh, and, and Nick said, bad play, bad play. And Ali is like, are you sure those are bad plays? And I was at home saying, oh, my God, we've never seen anybody limp and fold King Jack before. I was doing cartwheels. And Nick's like, that's a bad play. And I'm like, what? So I was a little bit steamed up. And uh, so I had to tell him that I didn't like. So I had to say, listen, you know, just because just because your mathematical Bible, just because of information you're currently studying says I'm playing poorly does not mean. I'm playing poorly. We may not solve this stuff for a long time, but 
you have to factor in reading ability. And, um, uh, you know, Phil, so if I could just jump in here for one second, because there's just so many different topics in that response that I want to talk about. I don't want to just get too carried away. I want to go back to what you were saying about the odds. And you were talking about how, you know, you were three, two underdog or three, two underdog. Um, I thought the odds were surprising. And I mean, Daniel has been on this podcast. We talked about the odds. We talked about the match and, and, and the odds. And, you know, even if you think a player is better in a heads up, sit and go, uh, the odds are usually pretty close in sit and goes because the format escalating blinds. That's your mathematical understanding in 2021 that the odds are very close in all these matches. Correct. Agree with that. Okay. So what did you think when you saw those were the odds? I mean, obviously you'd think that that was a joke because you, you know, you've mentioned here, you've been crushing and heads up matches for some time. And, you know, I, I did get steamrolled along the way. So I, I know what it's like to be on the, the losing end of a heads up match versus Phil Helmut. But uh, when you saw those odds, what, what were you thinking? And did you bet on yourself on the side when, when those became available? No, no, I didn't bet on myself on the side to me, to me winning it. It's all about legacy. I have to win these things, right? Um, I did a very high percentage of myself in those matches. Um, the last match, we allegedly put up 200000 each, so I could have sold off. My, my money had been, you know, I doubled it and doubled it again. And I sold 5000 to you stake investors because I like having 100 people have $50 on me because it gives me more motivation to win for them. Um, and I sold 5000 to D-Moon Girl because she asked me a long time ago and I've sold her 5k for every match. And I don't think I sold another piece. So I think I had 190,000 bet on myself against Daniel, the 200. Now I know that Antonio Esfandiari and Eric Seidel, you know, uh, bet on me. I don't want to say how much because Antonio doesn't like me talking about him ever. And, uh, you know, but yeah, Antonio he, was also texted me after the third match. You let me off the hook. Now that Negreanu lost three in a row. That's it's nice. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. He, he, he's a pretty private guy. I think he likes to kind of uh, stick to his own, his own streets. Um, I guess, I guess for me, obviously, you know, I think for, I think we're at different stages. Like I, I'm still in kind of some prime earning years of my life and I, I'm sure kind of where you're at now. Um, you're a little more focused on legacy, but at the end of the day, getting laid three to two is pretty juicy, man. And if you think, if you think you're, if you think you're winning there, why not? Why not just, you know, get a little more taste on the side, a little, a little extra, a little extra something, something, you know? You could even you could even sell some of your main action and then just get action on the side and get better odds overall. There's a lot of stuff you could do there. That's a good idea. I never thought of that, but that would also would feel that would feel just a little bit cheap to me to you know sell my friends at even and then bet myself at three to two. Sure. And uh, you know, so I think that in that regard, I'd I'd, I'd probably have to pass. And I, I think that for me personally, um, yeah, I mean, listen, Doug, I, I'm you know I'm 57 years old. I know, I know everybody sees me and they're like, wow, you look like you're in your forties. And I, I love that, you know, response from people. I, I get to do what I love every day, all that. I have a lot of energy, all that, but I'm ramping up, man. I mean, I've been asked to join three VC firms and I'm about to take a position in a VC firm as a partner. Um, you know, it's a pretty big deal. Um, it's being anchored by one of the biggest investors in the world, a name you would know instantly. And then, you know, and I'm also, I did three SPACs last year. Now the poker world, most people don't know what those are. So you're, you're working with Shamath then if it's a SPAC, right? He's the king of the SPACs. No, the... no, no, no. Oh, okay. Shamath is the king of the SPACs. I did three SPACs last year. I was sponsor money, but now I have a much bigger role. I raised $5 million in sponsor money for my SPAC in 48 hours. Now that feels pretty good to me, to my friends, that's a penny. So, 
I get no credit at all. But as I, a poker I, player, it feels pretty good. I, I, I want my friends sorry, go put in this money. Trust me. They could lose it all. Sponsor money. Either you're going to get three to one to nine to one on your money or you lose it all. But they all wanted to gamble with me. So I raised like 5.3 million in 48 hours for the SPAC we're going to be launching soon. And, uh, and so for me, we did three SPACs last year. I got a $2 million bonus when I found the company we took out, RSI, Rush Street Interactive. And uh, so for me, the business stuff's been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I, that's where I'm going to, if I make a billion dollars um, and, you know, for the first time ever, I thought maybe I could, you know, make a billion dollars about eight months ago. I'm like, whoa, I could actually make a billion. That's not a goal. I don't care. You know, but certainly I think I'll make hundreds of millions at least. And I'm having fun. So, you know, we, we launched a VC firm. We, we raised 10 million for the first firm. Then we'll raise 150 million for the second firm, then 600 million for the third firm. That's fun. And so, you know, people are like, why isn't Phil going to play $25,000 buy-ins with 30 people? You know, he's afraid of us. I'm not afraid of those guys. I can't yeah. wait to get my bet in with Negranu. You, you wove the, you wove that back in nicely because I want to talk about some of the investing and business stuff, but I want to kind of talk about um, some of the poker things here first. When you talk about high rollers versus large uh, large field tournaments, and I mean, we wrote this article about you on Upswing a few years back. I think you probably remember it. Um, we looked at your big field results, and they're they're actually remarkable uh, how how good you have done in the large the large fields. Let, let me just say this, and people are going to perceive this as bragging. We're talking. USA Today came out with an article of who's won money in the big field tournaments, the World Series. And they had all these people here, here, here. I was a little speck off the chart. Like I was an outlier of the outliers. I mean, it was crazy. This was in USA Today. Uh, and you're saying, I mean, I, I can think of some other outliers out there. It's not a good list in poker. Uh, my outlier status was so high. No one was close to me at the World Series. Book. And now Joe Kada is probably in a similar spot right now. So no doubt about it, the big field stuff, your results are there. But in the high rollers, if you look at your ROI, I don't think that it's nearly the same. And I think that most people in the high roller scene view you as a spot in those tournaments. What I'm up you, what, one, let's just be clear. I'm up 1.8 million in high rollers. I, I, look, Phil, what do you would you agree with what I'm saying? Like you've talked to these people. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the discourse online and people when people talk about this subject they think I'm you're going to be I, listen there's two things there's one we can talk sure. about facts two we can talk about what people are saying i agree with what you're saying um i've been under attack for but then they said i was a losing player at high rollers negranio said that and i called him i said what the fuck i'm up 1.8 million in high rollers what are you talking yeah but what's about? one okay 1.8 million in high rollers is not very much money phil i mean okay hold on let me finish you want another fact sure go for it who 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 I've played in the, let's look at the one drop, the biggest high roller of them all, right? Who has three top tens in the one drop? No one except me. I'm the only guy. So high roller, this high roller, that the biggest high rollers in the world, the one drop. I have three top 10 finishes. I'm the only guy and I've only played half of them. So I'm kind of sick of this bullshit. I rarely play the other tournaments. I, I did play some 300,000s when I was exhausted and couldn't perform. And then they judge me on that. I mean, the only reason I played is because I have a piece of Poker Central and they really wanted me there. So I showed up and I played and I figured I can't be an underdog anyway. And so they see me blow up in a high roller or 125K or play poorly. And I like fills a spot. They think they think I'm a spot. I'll grant you that. And 
I mean, Daniel's going to put his money where his mouth is again and lay me two to one. I can't break even over 50 high rollers. So I'm going to bet him as much as I can. I'll sell a bunch to my friends. I'll put at least 150 or 200,000 of my own money up and we'll go find out. I mean, I played in some high rollers uh, recently and I looked around and I was like, wow, I was not impressed. I saw, I saw one guy who's been super disrespectful to me, you know, uh, a complete jerk. Some of these young guys are just complete assholes. I always gave everybody credit when I came up. I always respected the people that paved the path for me. And so, but there was one guy who's been a complete asshole to me. I saw him make a really great call. And I was like, that was pretty cool. But, you know, are, are, are five or six of these guys in the same category as me? Yes. Do, does the world, does, does a lot of the high rollers, do these guys say, hey, these guys are better than you? They say that, but I don't agree. But I'm, but I'm not going to say that I'm better than they are. So, you know, there might be five or 10 players that I'm going to say, all right, you know, maybe you're better than me. I don't think so, but I'm not going to say that I'm better than them. You know, okay. so fair, yeah. I'll say I'm the all time great in poker tournaments. I'm not saying I'm the greatest player today, but I want that shot to prove I am. I mean, sure. The, the, the thing is, Phil, there's so many forms of poker, and that's why you can't just lock in on on just like one game type. Right. Like, I think if you said if I wanted to say, OK, who was the best heads up no limit cash game player ever online? Uh, I would put myself there. Right. But that doesn't mean that I'm the best poker player ever at all. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, it just means that one specific type of poker. So the yeah. great thing is you get to argue about all these different kinds of things. And, and I don't think there's any person attacking your record in tournaments in large fields. It's just simply too good. Right. So we're going to put that to the side. And I think that that's kind of sh- shown through with a lot of the bracelets that you've won um, winning in, in these big field events. I wanted to bring up two specific points though about high rollers. Exactly. Because first off sample size is really important in poker and I think one of the things about the smaller stakes tournaments is that you've played a huge number of them. So you're able to look back and say, here are hundreds of tournaments. I, I wouldn't, I, I don't, it's, it's at least hundreds of tournaments, right? Maybe even a thousand. I don't know. Um, here are hundreds of tournaments. I play about 28 per year. And in the old days, we only had, I only played six a year. So they're like, oh, you played all these tournaments. I'm like, dude, there were thir- there were 11 tournaments at the World Series in 1989 or 12 or something. Don't tell me I played in a hundred tournaments in 1989. I played six or because I didn't right. play them all. But over your life, you've have hundreds of these things, obviously. Um, no. So I think with the high rollers specifically, I mean, how many high rollers have you played? 25 or 50? I mean, it's such a small number. Mm. Do you think it's fair to argue that the results over that are, are fairly meaningless? And then and then second off, when you talk about having won $1.8 million, I have your Hendam mob up here. Um, I'm just going to assume that number is accurate. You did have you a can sport- look it up. No. I, I I'm I'm not I'm just I'm just pulling up hand and mob basically just to it like could be 1.5 it could be two sure I'm not I'm not nitpicking you yeah. Phil I'm just I'm just like I'm using that as a baseline um you did have yeah. a score for 2.6 in a million dollar buy-in so yeah, true the vast majority of that profit comes from one tournament so and, it, and that tournament score was only 2.6 buy-ins so I guess my argument on the other side of this when it comes to high rollers is given the small sample size and given what your ROI is which it's possible it's negative if if you're all your winnings came from one huge tournament, it's possible you lost more than no. I, I also finished. Uh, I also finished fourth in the 300k, which I felt like I should have won that. I mean, I went card dead for fucking ever. And you look at the one the, the one million dollar buy-in tournament. They showed the number of premium hands at the final table. They had me at zero, and Antonio had thirteen just at that one final table. And I just that one was extraordinarily disappointing for me. Um, yeah. All right. So it's easy to come back and say, oh well. 
it's the sample size is meaningless. But yes, I admit you are the only one who has three top tens in the one drop. You know, even though you played half, but the sample size is meaningless. I mean, when 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 does the sample size become more meaningless? I won twenty six out of twenty seven heads up play heads up against the pros in the real world. Well, that's a small sample size. Phil must be lucky. Well, I'm the luckiest motherfucker in history. I love it. I love I love the confidence and and yeah. I mean, at some point, results speak for themselves. So I, I'm with you on that. Um, I guess I just think in high rollers, it's those events are tough, right? A lot of great players, typically not very many weaker players. And I, I want to segue this in, into talking about sort of like your style versus the GTO style, because I think that's the the real stylistic difference between how you play. And I think why people wouldn't would view you as a, as a spot in some of these tournaments, correct or not. Um, your style still has a lot of playing the player and trying to see what they're doing and figure out what they're doing and, and, and kind of hone in on that and, and, and really attack them in spots that other people may, may not be able to find. I think what that leads to is it leads to hands that you look like a genius and then it leads to hands where he, you, you look you know foolish if you make a big laydown or whatever. Now that's insightful. Yes. Um, let, me, let, me, let me expound upon that point for one second. But sure. You're onto something and then I'll let you continue. I want to say this. It's amazing to me how people can watch me play heads up, right? I mean, I, I want to bring a few other things to light too. In the televised cash games, okay, it's just a fact that I won 25 out of 26 times, okay? One break even and one loss because I lost the last hand of the night. So take away that last hand of the night and the break even, and I won 24 out of 24. You can go back. I can name them all. They're all on my Twitter. Now, we played high-stakes poker uh, finally, and then that week I only won a little bit for the week. So there's some finally some losing sessions in there. So people watch me and are like, I don't like the way Phil's playing. I don't like the way Phil's playing, and but I'm killing everybody. They watch the heads up and they're like, that's not GTO. I don't like the way Phil's playing. The fact is that they don't even understand what I'm doing. And so then they choose to attack it and insult it. The difference is if I were young, I would be like, wow, that's so good. I have to learn how to do that. And that's exactly what I did. When I saw Jack Keller do amazing things in Limit Hold'em, I actually spent the day watching him play. It annoyed the hell out of him. I watched him play an entire day and was writing stuff down, taking notes. No hole cards. How is he getting there? How does he keep doing it? It's obviously skill. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of frustrating to me. It's a generation of players that just don't understand how I win. And then, therefore, they attack me and the way I play. I mean, really? Are you are you familiar with these some of these solver outputs? Have you looked into this at all, or or are you not interested in that? Uh, familiar with what? So I guess let me ask this question differently. Do do you agree that eventually? Computers... I've never used a solver. Uh, I've never. I studied. I studied GTO once for a couple of hours and won the tournament the next day. Not by using GTO. That was luck. That was luck. Uh, but I realized that's the first time I realized that they were floating me on every flop and I was laying down a lot of those hands and I'm like, all right, these guys are going to float me every flop. I'm going to bomb every turn. And if they hit and then I'm thinking, okay, they picked up a draw on the turn. They seem weak to me. Now I just move it on the river. And I ended up winning the turn. And that was the first time that I realized the extent that they were floating me. And then it was just easier to play against them. I did win the tournament the next day. So that's a weird story. I don't mind you smiling for that because I studied for two hours when the tournament, that does sound funny, but that's a true story. It was just the first time I realized to usually if I'd bet big on the flop and they call, I'd give up. 
And I realized there's whole generation. It's just, okay, if you're going to do that, I know exactly what to do. Bottom it on the turn. And that's just a good play in, in theory too. But I want to go back and ask you and just a, a little more pointed on that question. So eventually poker is going to be either fully solved or very close to solved. Okay. At least for, it depends on computing, computing power, how things get advanced. So there are things that we just know now are good or are bad in terms of at equilibrium. So if you do something outside of that, it, it can be good, but it's only good as an exploit against a certain player. So I guess my question then is when you're making these plays that the computer will just say, this is not good. You don't want to do this. Do you know that it's not, it's a play you shouldn't do versus an average player. You're just doing it to exploit your opponent or, or do you not believe in some of the outputs that these solvers are saying that you should, how you should be playing? Good question. Um, I, Yeah, I, I I do believe I do believe seventy uh, percent of the outputs, and and you know what they could potentially solve poker. That's online poker. So as long as I, I I have a cute way to say it to you. Let's say that someone has solved exactly how to play poker. So are they going to be standing twenty feet away from the table, behind a wall when they press the button to move in? Or are they going to be sitting across from me where I can look at their facial tics as they move in? Tell me which. Well, I, I so obviously we're talking about the difference in online and live, correct? Right. So that's like what we're what we're discussing. Um, you won't answer the question. You're not going to fall. No. Can you, can you can you can you say can you can you say the question more specifically? Sorry, I, I, I was I was laughing at the so premise. For a you just have to play with my setup and say yes. Okay. Will yes. they be sitting across from me as they put the chips into the pot? They will be. They will definitely be. And do you and and they will know what their whole cards are, right? They will. So then, they're readable, right? They are, and yeah, they are. So I mean, so then, you know, until someone now, I, I know there's this guy with had the freaking like the mask over his head or whatever, like he had the that guy. I mean, maybe I can't read him, but you know, but he still has to look at his whole cards, and there's going to be a glimpse of information there. And I, I think they're going to outlaw that. They're not going to let people you know, put something over their head. I mean, that's, that's not really poker anymore. So then, so then your, so then one theory is that, you know, one theory is that we will solve poker perfectly, but they still have to, I, they still, I, they still, I still have to be able to look at them. Right. I mean, like, let's just say that your solver said you're supposed to move in on such and such and such and such on the river. And I have third pair and I'm like, wow, he looks weak. I think I'll just call off my stack, which I've done a thousand times. And then all of a sudden they're out of the tournament. So then what are they going to do? They're going to say, Phil Helmuth, he reads so well, we can't bluff him anymore because da 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 because he will call me with third pair. So we've solved mathematically, but we can't play mathematically perfectly against Phil because he knows what we have somehow. We don't understand it, does not compute, does not well, compute, actually, does not compute. It's actually a little different than that, Phil, because if they're trying to play perfect, they don't care what you do. Like if I play you, I don't actually care what you do. Right, like if we play online. I'm, I, if if I when you show your hand at the end of the hand, I don't even use it because I'm just gonna try and play perfect or as close to perfect. So I'm like, okay, that's those are cards. You know what I'm saying? So the GTO young guys, they, they don't even they don't they. I I think it's fair to say this. They don't care what you have, so they're not gonna change their math because you called with third pair. They're just kind of trying to do the same thing. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, look, I mean, listen, I mean, we can start with the theory of omniscience, right? Now we can scale that back. Omniscience means, you know, what's coming, what everybody has and what's coming. Omniscience is to also know the future. We scale it back to perfect reading abilities, all right, which nobody has perfect. But if you know what their whole cards are in every situation, they will never win. I will win every single tournament, right? So then we recognize that. So then it's very easy for a mathematician to then say that's true. And then, all right, so then there's something there in that reading ability, which puts you at another level, right? And so when they're, they're very busy, they're very hardworking on the math, hit this, math that, right? And, and they just sit down with me and I'm like, he's weak, he's strong, he's weak, he's strong, I'm all in, I fold. And, you know, I mean, you can make, what, 10 great plays per tournament. And, you know, if you look at, you know, who's had the most deep runs and no limit hold them in the last five years at the World Series, I'm certainly amongst the leaders, right? Who's had the most wins? I'm certainly amongst the leaders. That's the last five years. Go back from, you know, go back in time and, you know, and I'm that little speck at the top of the dot there, you know, the, the off the chart, right? So, so, I mean, they still have to look at their hands to play perfectly. I'll tell you a story you're going to love. It was a few weeks okay. back, okay? I'm hanging out in the pool with one of my good buddies. We're having some drinks. He's, he's kind of an online guy, but a little bit alive, a little bit of both. And we're, we're, we're quite a few beers in and, and we bring, we bring up the heads up dual thing. And he says, you know, it's easy to kind of joke about Helmuth and how he plays, but at some point he wins enough matches enough times. At what point do we start to think something else is going on here? At what point do we start to think that maybe he's onto something that we just don't, we just don't know what's going on because he just seems to win all the time. And I mean, there's no doubt about it. I want to talk about two hands. I talked about these with Daniel that I think were especially wild to me from your heads up match. Can you explain limp folding ace jack suited on the button? Because I I simply, you limped ace jack suited, Negronia raised, I believe, six blinds, and you just limp folded, he had ace queen. Was that a live tell? That was a combination. All right, so listen. So first of all, if you want the full power of that story, you're missing the first part of the story. I limp with King 10 of diamonds. He raised seven X and I called him fairly quickly because I thought he was bluffing. He had Jack nine offsuit. He fucking made Jacks and nines, which was very annoying that hand. Um, I, I did bet the turn because I thought he was so weak. I thought like he couldn't even have an ace. So I fired out the flop came, you know, I don't know, eight, nine, five. And then an ace came. He did get one bet of me out in the turn. And I think I would have bet a king or a 10 on the river. That's how good, good I was that hand, right? So how do you explain? No one can explain except knowing the reading ability, how I could call seven big blinds with king, 10 of diamonds, limp call. And then when I had ace, jack of spades, limp fold for seven bigs. Once I thought he, once I thought he was super, super strong. Once I thought he was super, super weak. I went with my reads. That's the difference between winning and losing. If you don't look at the whole match, that's all you need to know. Now, I will tell you this, though. There was all kinds of additional pressure on me that hand because when he 7 x and I called with King 10 of Diamonds, I knew the next time he exactly 7 x he would be super strong. So that's the logic piece, right? I, I don't think that I... So I've played Daniel heads up, okay? I've played, I know Daniel's heads up game pretty well. 
I don't think he's the kind of guy that plays like that, where if he's 7X is strong, the next it'll be weak or whatever. I, I think that he has his team. I know I'm kind of familiar with his team of guys. And he's trying to play much closer to the GTO style. I think if he had the type of hand that he needed to raise, I think he would have just done that either way. Do you? Do you... Well, you know, because he, he specifically talked about wanting to try to exploit me. Mm. So that means he watched the, the second match, and that means that input goes in. Phil called 7X with King 10 of Diamonds. Okay, so, so I disagree with you, but that's neither here nor there. That's just a part of the equation is the logic. The bigger part, <laughs> I mean, you can't imagine how tough a lay down that was because in order to make that fold, I swear to God, my instincts are he's loaded, he has it, you're in bad shape. He just has, he just has you crushed somehow, some way. My instincts are going crazy, but I'm a human being and I can't help but think if he has, if he has whatever ACE 10 suited, they're going to play, they're, you're going to, they're going to, they're going to run this hand a hundred million times. And all these idiot critics of mine that just think that it's math, 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 math. Here is their example to nail Phil Helmuth. Well, he folded ACE Jack of spades. I couldn't help but think about it because I'm a human being. And so I'm like, fuck. You are going to look fucking, I thought this, you're going to look like a, so fucking bad if you fold this. You are going to look, and they're going to run that hand a hundred million times. And I said, I finally said, I don't care. I think he has it. And that's what makes me me is this fold. I'm not always right, but I'm going to trust my instincts and I'm going to win this match or lose this match based on my instincts. So I folded it. I was also aware that never in the history of televised poker has anyone folded ace-jack suited for 20 big blinds or 30 big blinds, never mind seven. We've never seen that fold before in history. You can go back and look at 10 million hands. No one's ever folded this stuff. Do you agree? Yes or no? I've never seen it, but I did see a hand on Poker After Dark where you limp folded queens with three blinds. I think I believe it was three blinds. I saw you do that. Three blinds. No. Se seven blinds more than that okay i'll look it up i'll look it up maybe i got it. if i got it wrong my bad i had yeah um, more than that but yeah. I, but other than other folds you have made i have not seen anything like that so what's really funny doug is your mind went to not all the literally literally there's thousands of amazing folds i made and your mind went to the one fold one out of a thousand. So if you and I want to have a battle, I'll show you a thousand videos right now of great folds I made, and you can find one. Your mind went to that one. What well, makes people do that? Why well, did you go there? Why, what makes people do that? I, In part because it was incorrect, but also because limp folding queens is the most absurd fold. I've never seen someone do that in my entire life. That is the most absurd fold of all time. Pre -fold. Well, that wasn't heads up either, by the way. So. I think it was uh, folded to the small blind, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was like we were playing six-handed, and it was against an amateur. And then the next hand, I had the the next hand, I got it in with kings, which was lucky. But yeah. All right, so mixture of instincts, possibly game flow, maybe some live tell. Do, do you have? Do, is there? Is are there live tell aspects that you kind of don't want to give your tip your hand a little bit, uh, or or is it just more more of a game flow kind of thing? Because that was a game flow sort of response on the ace jack suited. Both. I mean, okay. 
it's a matter of trusting your instincts, right? I mean, what's weird to me, there's a whole generation of, of you may or may not be a part of it that doesn't understand what to do if you make a good read. A whole generation. So when someone when someone goes all in and you have ace, where someone raises seven X there and you have ace jack of spades, your generation is trained just to re-raise it every time, right? And it's just a re-raise and, 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 and then sometimes be cute and call. But the cute move for your generation is to call, but you're going to re-raise with it. A lot of money is going in there. And so, and so at what point do you guys say, oh, my God? I mean, so, so you, what you're looking for immediately is you're not even looking up. You're like, mass says do this. Mass says do that. Mass says this. Mass says that. What did Helmuth do? Does not compute. Must be a bad play. Does not compute. Must be a bad play. And I'm like, what the fuck? which is why I attacked Nick Shulman, you know, where because I folded King Jack against King Queen and King 10 against King Queen within an hour. And your generation is must re-raise, must re-raise, must call. Your generation is going to raise the button and call the re-raise. You're going to have six big blinds, seven big blinds every time. I lost one big blind. And so your whole generation chooses to say, does not compute, does not compute, must be a bad play. And then Nick has you know, the temerity to say, wow, Helmuth, that was a bad fold, even though the math, even though the preponderance of evidence sitting in front of him is that was an amazing fold. So I'm at home dancing on the ceiling going, wow, they're going to give me global. I'm going to get all this global praise for laying down King Jack offsuit for one big blind and instead global criticism. But the hand is right there. You can see it. You can run it again and again. Yeah. Same thing with ace jack of spades, right? You know what I mean? Like no one, no one on the planet in your generation understands that play. And so there's a disconnect here. Either I'm a delusional old idiot and I'm 57. So maybe I'm getting close to that. I still think I'm great at poker. So I'm either a delusional old idiot or maybe I'm seeing some stuff that the rest of the world doesn't see. That's completely possible and well no there's only two possibilities i'm either delusional wrong and the luckiest fucking player in history by 10x to just keep winning 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 playing what is suboptimal poker or my reading ability is ramped up to a level which your generation does not understand one of the two exists and it can be there can be mixes of both right i believe i mean there can be points where you're making great reads and then points where you've just gone too far i think that that's it, 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 there could be a blend right it's some some mixture i think some people would lean more one way or the other i think there's clearly something going on in some of these hands because sometimes the the plays that you make are just when someone does something truly baffling and it's correct, you kind of have to take a step back and think about what exactly is going on here and not your be- generation you just hammer it by the way, I'm not new school anymore, Phil. I'm in my 30s. We're I'm I'm mid school now. Okay, I, I'm not I'm not. You're the not young... gonna let me hammer you. It's fun going like this. I already got that when we played some heads up. I, it was plenty for me. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about the other big hand. You know the hand I'm gonna talk about. It was the eight three suited hand. What a wild hand! Can, can, I, we've talked about this hand a little bit on the podcast with Daniel. Can you talk a little bit about that hand? Was there some sort of what? How were you able to make that play with eight three suited? Kind of, can you walk me through what was going on in your mind when you three bet eight three suited, faced a four bet, five bet eight three suited, uh, check called eight high on the flop, and then led on the flush draw turn? What was going through your, your head there? My head was my head was 
Matt, uh, listen, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, you, you know, you, you, anybody that saw the cards, it's like I got lucky in the second match against Daniel when I overplayed ace four and he had two eights, the last hand of the match, right? I bluffed him 35 times in that match. You can go back and watch, but I got lucky in the last hand, right? Or he would have pulled even with me on ships, right? So it was almost like the deck said, all right, you got lucky there. We're going to smack you for a quick 50,000. So maybe I went from 200 down to 150 or whatever. I mean, there's nothing I could do. I mean, it was kind of, it was really ugly start. And so I was waiting for my time. You know, there's this debate I had after the second match. Now I know I bluffed him 35 times and I know everybody hates being bluffed. So I was coming into that match. I'm not going to bluff. 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 But I was having trouble sleeping at night. It might sound funny to you, but I know after all these years, if I'm having trouble sleeping at night, there's something wrong with the strategy. So finally, two days before the match, I'm like, you have to use your instincts maximally. Boom, sup like a baby the next two nights. You have to go for it. You have to use your instincts maximally. Otherwise, so the right solution presented itself to me. So this was the first opportunity I had. I thought he was super weak. So now when it came Jack 10, six, so I made it 35,000. I mean, by the way, he wins the match here. If, if he, if he can somehow muster up, you know, an amazing play here. And, uh, but I just didn't think he could. So what happened was, um, I think he, he, he raised, I three bet, he four bet. And I'm like, ah, he doesn't fucking have it. And I knew after all the times I three bet him, he was going to four bet me light. He had to four bet me light. He had to make a fucking stand. I had done it the second match. Dude, when you get bluffed 35 times, go back and look. It's like 35 times, right? I mean, I was just fucking smack, 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 right? Ouch. This is, this is, this is getting pretty aggressive here. <laughs> No, no. I love Daniel. I mean, this is, this is, this is just poker, man. It's just poker, but I know that, you know, he's going to make a stand. And so, all right, I have to ready to man up. So I just went for the five bet with the eight, three. Now the flop came Jack 10, six. I'd already checked in the dark. Look back. I'm checking in the dark for a lot of reasons, but I want to see his reaction on the flop. So when I check in the dark, I'm staring at him as he stares at the flop, right? And he makes this bet of like 21,000, let's say, into 70. And I'm like, he doesn't have it. My mind is, he doesn't have it. What are we going to do? Are we going all in? And I said, man, he might have king, queen, and he might just call an all in, and you're just dead. So <clears throat> let's wait for a card to come off, right? And then we're, gonna, we're betting no matter what comes. And so a six came off. It turned out it gave me a club draw. But I was 100% betting big there no matter what came off. And now I bet out big. And now, I mean, to his credit, he's sitting on deuces. Five bets before the flop. He's studying. So he sensed something was wrong, too. I sensed something was wrong. He sensed something is wrong. But Daniel has decided not to use, you know, I mean, I think Daniel is one of the best readers in the game. But I think he's decided to just trust math more than his own reads, in my opinion. I, I think Daniel is one of the all-time greats. Uh, for sure. He's one of the all-time greats. I've never said anything, but all I'm saying, it's not controversial. I think he's, you know, I think he's using math a little bit more than his reads right now. And, uh, and I just made a good bet and boom, won that pot. And now we're even again, or maybe I took a little lead. So that half an hour of him winning every hand or whatever was eliminated. And now it felt like level match. 
it impressive. It's a, it, it was an impressive hand. Um, I, I think I, people I, freaked out when you, when I went back and looked at it, I literally called 21,000 with nothing like super quickly on the flop on the That's flop what freaked people out the most on the flop, by the way, in GTO land, when you five bet small, I think you're near a hundred percent C bet on, I want to say every board or almost every board because your range is so many aces, Kings, Queens that, um, it, you want to just bet every flop. So a dark check is the kind of thing why if someone's an online player and they see that and they think, oh, three big blind mistake here from Phil on the flop, like or two or 1.5, depending on the board, whatever it is. Um, may, it might be a little different on Jack 10-6 because a lot of the hands that Daniel might four bet, like, let's say he four bet a king, queen, ace, jack, those are going to call the five bet and now those have connected. So may, maybe that flop is more reasonable to have checks, but um that's an example of the kind of difference between what your style would be and what kind of the online style would be. I mean, dude, the blinds do. were like two, 400. He bet 21,000 on the flop that I picked up an extra 21 by checking the flop. I mean, you know how many big blinds that is? That, that is some apex. That's predator one way to shit. look at I, it. And, you I, know, I, I understand, you know, I understand the way you guys are looking at it. I got it. So with the heads up dual format, are there? Is there anyone? I, you're going to be playing Tom Dwan soon, right? Is that? Is yeah. that? I saw, I saw that, right? Are you excited Next to play week. Tom Dwan? Um, I don't know. What are the odds like on that? Are people ever going to give you credit, Phil, or or what do you think? I think this is the first time they made me a small favorite on some sites. Um, I don't know though. I didn't look. I didn't look, and I don't care. You know, I mean, to me, to me, if they put me as an underdog, then it just kind of motivates me and aggravates me even more. Really, you know, I mean, it's just, it's the strangest thing I've ever seen. Like, I mean, it's almost like when I told, when I tell you that I won 24 out of 25 televised cash games, it's like, it goes in one ear and out the other ear. It's like, they don't even believe it. They believe it, but they're like, oh, that's Phil just talking. No, go check the fucking facts. When I tell you that I've won all these heads up matches, it's like, I don't know. So for some reason it doesn't compute to people and they're like because they don't understand what i'm doing right and if you don't understand what i'm doing then 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 that's fine but i mean like <laughs> if you don't understand what i'm doing then of course i'm an underdog in every match well the good people of the podcast here i always like to give them a chance to make some money if you believe in what phil is telling you here you can get phil for plus 110 on poker shares so Apparently they're not valuing enough of these. Uh, the, I'm an underdog again. Yet, yet again, but you know, at some point, um, I guess like now people can make a make their decision on their I own. I mean, and, Tom Dwan and I played heads up in the NBC Championship twice, right? I once, remember that. Once we got a million big blinds in, and I had aces and he had tens, and he hit a ten. And then the next year, I put some crazy five bet bluff in, and uh, and won that match. Uh, um, you know, and that was kind of a fun, a fun heads up. But I also like Tommy was that just like, I like you, Doug, even though you're mean to me half the time, um, which is true. But I mean, like Tom was at my house, we were at my fire pit, smoking cigars and drinking like, I don't know, three, four months ago. Like, you know, he was in San Francisco. He looked me up. He's funny. He, he brought some crypto superstar with him and told this person, I don't know, Phil can be a little bit weird. And uh, like gave the pre-warning to hang out with me. <laughs> this person was like, told Tom, what the fuck? Why did you warn me? I love hanging out with this guy. He's <laughs> completely reasonable and so much fun. Wait, wait. Like, Come on, Tom. What fun, the fuck, man? fun, yes, but reasonable, Phil. I, I, I don't know if I can go with reasonable. 
Well, you're so a fun guy to hang buy, out so with. You buy into the fact that I'm delusional, right? Not reasonable. No, I didn't right? say delusional. I'm just saying there's Name only one. one there's only one Phil Helmuth. Unreasonable. There's Name only one instance. There's only one Phil Helmuth. There's Name only one, one instance where I'm unreasonable. I, I'm curious. Well, the way that you're, I'm not trying to say this in a negative way. I'm saying that you're not just a. When I hear reasonable, I think of kind of a an average person. I think that you you speak your mind a lot of things. Uh, the name dropping can get a bit excessive at times. Name dropping has nothing to do with being reasonable. That's ego. Well, we're talking. I think some people would say that name dropping is not reasonable. Some people might say that. Well, so then, so then, if you're hanging out with, if that's all you hang out with is names. So you just never say who you're hanging out with, and you you want to go. So you want to go the other direction, modesty to be reasonable. Is that what is that what I'm hearing? There there are some tweets that I think are a little bit a little bit unreasonable. I'm not tr- I'm not trying to, to take the opposite side here, Phil. I'm just saying I think that of a lot a lot of things. No, I mean when like, I think of your name, I just that's not the first thing that jumps at me. Phil, help me reasonable. That's it's not the first well, thing. I mean, to me to me, I'm very aligned with reasonable. You look at me politically, um, neither side. I'll be filming with uh, Ted Cruz this week, uh, you know, um, but I'm not a Republican. Um, I'll go to D.C. and I might play with some Supreme Court justices there that are Democrats. And so I consider myself very reasonable when it comes to these things. Uh, I get along with everybody. I can talk to everybody. You know this about me. I can talk with anybody and everybody away from the table and even at the table. Now, okay, you might say when Phil loses it over losing a pot. That's your argument for him being unreasonable, me being a poker brat. Fine. Uh, that argument I accept. That's more like within the realm of the game where, where I'm just losing it. But away from the table, um, the, reason why, the reason why I'm on 12 advisory boards is because I'm exactly reasonable. The reason why I can talk with extreme Democrats and Republicans is because I'm reasonable. So... I pride myself I think, on being exactly that reasonable. Now, I think you're personable, Phil. I think it's a little bit different. I think you're a very easy guy to hang out with and get along with, having no cameras, just me and you or in a group, whatever. But being personable and being reasonable are different things. Name one instance where I've been unreasonable. I, I don't. I, I'm not. Up. I'm not trying to turn this. I'm not trying to turn this into. No, no, I pick no, all no, the I, reasons you're, you're unreasonable. I asked you. Bring it. I want to hear one instance. I, I I'd have to I'd have to think about what I'd have to make a list yeah, or something. Don't you and think if I were unreasonable, you would you, you would be able to come up with like five x five. Your right persona, away. your persona is unreasonable. The, okay. the 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 hashtag positivity all the time, the doing this, the going there, the it's a it, it's an it's an unreasonable person. But that's different. Persona. You said Phil's persona can be unreasonable. That I agree with. But to say that Phil himself is unreasonable. Um, I think I'm super reasonable. So but that's I, the difference. I would push back a little on that, Phil, because some people okay. put on a real act in public. And I, you're not one of the guys that I feel like it's an act. I feel like it's genuine. And part, yes. of, your, part, of, your, part of your persona is that you say what you're doing. You're living your best life. Hashtag positivity. And I don't feel like that's fake. I feel like that is who you are. And so, yes, but, but, but so, so, so because I'm on private jets all the time and hanging out with the world's biggest superstars, you hold. And so because my Twitter, let me finish because my Twitter is, uh, is asked is inspirational and ask, let's call it aspirational. 
This is what you can look. This is what it can be like if you're a champion in poker. You can be on the private jets. You can hang out with billionaires. You can hang out with Drake and 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 have dinner with all these amazing people. That's very aspirational. That doesn't have anything to do with being unreasonable or not. That's a choice that I make. You know, to be aspiration to have my tweets be aspirational. And and I will tell you what, uh, a lot of people follow me and they smile a lot. They're happy. You know what I mean? They're like, that's cool. That's cool. I'm, I'm so, you know, there's people out there kind of rooting for that. You know, wow, I want to see the next jet. I mean, like there's some jets I was on in the last week. I can't even post them. because you know, I don't want to get in trouble. That's very reasonable, <laughs> Bill. That's very reasonable. very reasonable. Well, it's reasonable because I was requested by my friends to. I, I guess it depends on how you want to look at the word reasonable. If you're trying to mean that, that you're logical, that's a word I would agree with. If you're trying to say that you're personable, I would agree with that. Reasonable. It, it can. It, it has a lot of latitude, right? Um, so maybe we'll have to run a Twitter poll after this. And Do we'll you think that if think. I, you and I sat down and we talked for uh, twelve hours a day for three days, do you think? Do you think you would find me? Uh, you you think you would find uh, something that I stand for would argue for in three days, twelve hours a day that you would think would be unreasonable, even one thing? Well. <laughs> it's hard to know what, what conversations are going to take place over those three no, days. No, no, no. Listen, what's reason? we talked earlier. Okay, we talked okay. earlier, and we said, and I admitted to be reasonable. I said, either I'm delusional or the world doesn't understand what I'm doing. That's nothing but reasonable. So I'm not saying that I'm right. What I'm saying is one or one or two, you know, this, this is as reasonable as you can be. Yeah. This exists or this exists. And you and I could talk 12 hours a day for three days. We could get drunk uh, three days in a row, and you would never see me. Uh, be unreasonable. You might see me say, "Hey, let's bet ten to one on me hitting cold basketball shot." That's not unreasonable. I fucking hit it. Phil, <laughs> Phil, the point of that, that that story is a good example. The fact that that happened is so unreasonable. It's two a.m. in in Philly or Pittsburgh, ever which city we were in, and Pittsburgh. we're headed down to some janky basketball and some rundown court to shoot a three for ten thousand dollars. That's super unreasonable from both of us. That's not. Why is that unreasonable? It's just unreasonable. It's just not a reasonable thing That's to the do. Fun stuff in life. Man. I know there's nothing wrong with with having an unreasonable I life. I love doing that stuff. That's do, my life. Do you That's have my, a? That's I'm so you out have, there having fun. You have you know? an unreasonable life, right? Would you agree with that? Unreasonable life. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I think you're stretching the word unreasonable to insane. I I, I didn't Maybe. mean that. Is your life insane? My, my life is like, a, let's say my, the life that I have is like a movie, right? I mean, it's like a movie. It's crazy fun, right? But at no point at this age, do I lose track of the fact that this is the movie. It's amazing. I'll put it out on Twitter. I'll talk about the movie, but I've been married for 32 years. Okay. I have kids, you know, that I, that are amazing children that, that, that my wife and I have raised. And, uh, and, and I've spent a fucking ton of time in therapy with my wife, the two of us working on our relationship, which I basically means working on myself. Right. And so, and so I'm hanging out with literally the smartest people in the world and trying to keep up with them. Right. And, you know, and so, and I, so I think that, you know, and some Democrats, some Republicans, when when you say that though, literally the smartest people in the world that is such an unreasonable thing to say. how do you know they are literally the most smart people in the world how do you know that <laughs> I mean, how do you know that 
how do you rate Shamath on reasonable? I mean, on smartness, you know, extremely smart, but I still wouldn't say he's one of the smartest people in the world. Okay. Let's retract that a little bit and say that I'm just with an amazing group of people. Do you agree with that? Sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, occasionally, uh, occasionally my words don't exactly match my intent. Let's, let's move on a little bit here. I think we, we got a little bit of a rut because I have a couple other subjects I want to talk about still. This was great though. I like this discussion about reasonable because I think, I think that the people out there can actually say, well, you know what? Maybe Phil's more re- is, is reasonable. He does live an insane lifestyle, but, but I will say this, the movie that I live in, you know, the high stakes poker all over the world, the high stakes poker, you know, that I play, you know, the amazing people that I'm able to run with. That's the movie. But now I'm home and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, in, in about a week, I'll be sending out aspirational and inspirational tweets. Um, but, you know, listen, this book right here, I'll say this, Doug, do you think I'm coming back to the reason thing? Tony Robbins tells people to buy my books in his advanced seminars. That's impossible. That's a mind blower. That blows my mind. Okay. I wrote a book, Eight Life Tips. Tony Robbins tells people to buy my book in this seminar. Sheryl Sandberg has an amazing jacket blurb on this book. I'm going to help millions of people get better, think better. I just saw a tweet two days ago where someone said, hey, our high school class, you know, bought your book and we're studying. It's pretty cool. And so that is kind of, you know, I don't think that someone, I think that, I think that the this I think that the more reasonable are you, the more truth you see. But I do think big. I'll give you that. I think big. I live big, and maybe that can be perceived uh, in a weird way. Anyway, all right, go ahead. Next. Okay, all right, and I, I'm with you. And by the way, uh, I think mindset stuff is really important. So viewing the world in a way where you are in the right place at the right time is important. I think that book Dude, could do a lot of good. Look, for, for I would say this is weird, right? You're always in the right place at the right time. It's the cover of my book. And since then, there are times where I've literally felt the center of the universe for a second or two. I'm not stupid. <laughs> I don't think I'm always at the center of the universe. But you're always in the right place at the right time is on the cover of my book, right? right? I'm trying to teach the world that. And I mean, I've had some freaky, I could tell you a story about a company that just would blow your mind. I'm not going to do it because it's going to take five or 10 minutes and you want to use the time for something else. Sure. But it's just weird, man, the way I've been able to connect founders with the perfect situation, you know? Yeah. The, you have a real talent for, for networking and, and getting involved in, in situations that, um, you know, can, can lead to big things. Let's talk about this hand. Cause I, I have to bring it up. It may be my favorite hand that ever played on TV, Phil, when you had the queen town high stakes poker and you jammed about a hundred thousand dollars over my raise on nine on Jack nine, eight. And I had 10, seven in the big one. I check raise and folded. What were your thoughts on that hand? I mean, you made an amazing laydown. I do think you made one assumption that was wrong. You thought I was the big blind. You told me no. later. Oh no, no, I thought I thought um, I I didn't assume something wrong, but I thought that you bet the flop. Right, I didn't bet the flop either. So first of all, I don't play Queen Ten under the gun very often, so that was just really weird. I happened to race with Queen Ten because I hadn't played. So this is just logic. I hadn't played a hand in a while. So I have to exploit, I have to raise with queen 10. So I raised under the gun with queen 10. I think you thought somehow I was in the straddle or the big blind. I don't straddle too much. So um, that helped you a little bit um, because it's hard to put Phil Helmuth on queen 10 offsuit under the gun. That's the only negative I'll say. So 1% negative. 
but dude, your laydown was 99%. One of the best laydowns I've ever seen in the ever in my, in since I played poker, I'm not saying that because you're here. I'll say something else too. It's amazing to me how that hand can go out. And then you have, <laughs> I mean, even if 10 people say, Oh, I would have folded that hand. It's just, I mean, people are just, I mean, frankly, stupid sometimes. Right. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, I love humanity, but there's some, there's some people out there. Oh, I would have folded that hand too. Nobody folds that fucking hand. Okay. And all these people that said, well, it was Phil and he did this and he did that bullshit. I could eat just as easily have had a set of nines there, a set of jacks there. I mean, uh, you know, but you got to the next level on that. And so somehow, some way, and uh, I gave you tremendous credit. And then, and then, it, and then at some point I opened myself up. I should have just been quiet. Once you showed the 10, seven, and we started talking, then, you know, I kind of, you know, that was stupid of me there. I should, I should have just shut up because you might've folded anyway, but I also, I also, you shouldn't have said you could have, you shouldn't have said you could have the blockers that, that never said that. That was, that was bad. I I thought I was going to fold. And then you said that. And I, if if I called and lost after you said that you talk about not being able to sleep at night, I don't think I could sleep at night. If I said, what do you have? You say blockers. I call and you show me the nuts. I couldn't, I don't think I could sleep at night. Can you write me a check for 90,000 please? Because you owe me 90,000 from that hand. Cause that, that fold was truly spectacular. It was really amazing. And, uh, you know, and, and something happened to me when I filmed Rob's game, when I filmed high stakes poker, I usually am ready to risk a hundred thousand a day. So I was risking, I believe 100% of my money in that game. And 100% of my money in Rob's game, I set out $400,000. I'm super conservative with my money, legendarily conservative with my money. I feel like my management skills are really, really good. So super conservative. So in that, I was playing a hundred thousand. I was only risking a hundred that day. And I just decided to protect and didn't play, didn't play poker, played protect. Um, and, you know, uh, unfortunately, we looked at the turn card. It was an offsuit deuce. So and no world are you ever getting away from that hand with the offsuit deuce. And so there's just so many other ways I could have played it. I could have made it 20K. You can't get away. I could have smooth called. You can't get away. I, I could have bet the flop. You can't get away. And so I found the only way and then started talking. You know, and, and but but even then, you can't get away. You can't get away. But you well, it, 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 I think a lot of options were good. Their calling has a little bit of appeal because James Board's still in the hand of the button. He had nothing, but uh, he could pretty easily have a piece of something, and you might want him to splash around a little bit. That that could have been that could have been reasonable. I think three betting the flop is fine. I think jamming is just too big though, because if you jam you're risking so much to win so little and I can have queen 10 a lot and and the button can actually have some queen 10 as well. So there's a lot of people that can have queen 10 here. Even if you don't have it a lot, I can have it a ton. I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to play queen 10 like this. Mainly I call pre-fought race flop. I mean, I mean, I mean line. So when you jam into both of us, I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't make the call. I, I just did that. And by the way, earlier you were mentioning, when you make a lay down and it circles around everywhere and you have to relive it over and over again and you try and do the right thing as anyway, that was what was going through my head here. In my heart, I'm thinking I have, I have to fold here, but if I'm wrong that Phil, if I was wrong, that would have been a career defining hand when I'm, when I'm long gone, people look back, Doug, what are your thoughts? 
I could never get over that fold. That would be like the defining thing, you know, the defining hand if I folded and you had, if you had tens said I had the blockers, I folded and you showed tens. I don't think I can live that down. I just think that's it. <laughs> right. How do you live that down? I, 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 and so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I, I think I should fold, but almost just the chance of having to live a life where that happened. It's almost worth the money to call. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I actually agree with you. The same thought I had with that ace jack of spades against Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's flashing through my mind. They are going to hammer me if this is wrong, you know? <laughs> and so that was the one hand that, uh, that was the one hand that I, I, I then met with Brent Hanks after I won the match. And I'm like, I saw him and I saw, and, and, and so I saw, and I said, Hey guys, listen, you know, I, this ace jacket, it's just really concerns me. I could have been wrong. I never, I never asked Daniel. I did believe him when he said, Oh, I had you. How do you get away? I believed him, but I didn't know because he lied a lot. So, so the next day, Brent Hanks texted me ace queen in caps. And I was like, nice, exciting. And in your case, queen 10. When you didn't show, I felt better because there it's a TV game, right? You know, eventually you're going to eventually everyone's going to know. So if you owned me that hard, you, you're gonna you're gonna show I, I you'd have to be a true ice ice you have to be an ice cold killer to bluff there and then say I had it and then let me find out on the replay that it was actually a bluff. I don't think I don't think most people are capable of that. It's just too tempting. I, but that's interesting. I never show my bluffs ever. Oh, oh but I'll show that I'll show it when I have it most of the time. I never show my bluffs. Now I might have shown one, you know, or whatever when I'm playing high stakes poker with my friends occasionally. But I just basically never show bluffs. I want everybody to assume I have it all the time. And then and then then I can read them better, you know. Once makes- I start showing bluffs, then the reads get messed up. You know what I mean? Like I like this. Everybody thinks I'm super tight all the time, Phil, because there's certain assumptions that they make that I can then remake. It makes my life easier when when things are clear. That makes sense. If you have a good intuition for what people are doing. I, I don't use reads very often. So for me, it's less important to try and keep them sort of pure in that way. Right. So that makes sense that you're, you're trying to, 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 to do that. Uh, do you still, do you still, so playing on high stakes poker, it was definitely a bit of a bucket list item for me. I'd never played in it before in my life before that session. Do you still, is there an excitement when you play in that show? Because it's such an iconic show. It's obviously a little bit there and been a bit of a gap. Um, the production is a little bit different. I, I actually think I prefer the way the set and stuff looked before or had a cozy kind of feel to it. Now it's a, a little more of a, uh, of a grand stage kind of thing, but regardless, do you, do you still get an excitement when you show up to play on that show? Yes. You know, listen, I mean, it has to be said as much as I'm Hey, I won 25 out of 25 times in, in the cash games in the past, my record was horrendous. So, you know, I mean, a lot of times I will tell you, I will tell you this though. I mean, I wasn't playing a lot of Hold'em when we'd film in 08, 9, 10, 11, 12. In the cash games, I didn't do well. Now, at Poker After Dark tournaments, I had an extraordinary record. Extraordinary. After starting with the sixth, the fifth, and a fourth, I had like first, second, and third for like three years straight in Poker After Dark, mostly first and second. So, um, so, I, so that's okay. But in those high stakes cash games, I mean, and then, and then, dude, I mean, like, I just, I wasn't bankrolled enough i mean for that i mean i'd be like i'd be coming in there with exactly a hundred a lot of times i played super super tired and i wasn't the same player 
in 2008 tired that I am today. Now I can be on three days. Now, now I know now, now I can be up three days and sit down in a high stakes cash game. And I know that I know when I need to walk away. I know when I'm off. I know all that stuff that comes with awareness of yourself, but I didn't have the awareness of myself that I should have had, you know, when I was say 39 or 40. And, uh, and so, you know, my record in those days was bad. So you look back at those old high stake poker, cash games, whatever we played, I didn't play in them a lot. And when I did play, I didn't play my best. So that's why it felt amazing for me starting in 2014 when I started filming to go on this massive streak of winning and even, and I'm ready for those games, but I'm especially, I was especially ready for Rob's game. Um, and, and then high stakes poker, it's still a thrill. And, uh, you know, I'm still mad at myself from uh, when I had two tens against Juan on that show, you know, I mean, like the hand just got away from me somehow and, you know, I'm supposed to win a big pot. I also folded eights for 11 K, which, you know, I would have had like 500,000 afterwards if I played the hand, but, but yeah, anyway, but I mean, that was, that's, that's the Phil Hellmuth of 2021 making that fold 2020. I don't mind as much. What I do now is a lot more. Uh, a lot more solid ground. Nice. Yeah, sounds like you found your found your footing there, and uh, I think that that kind of stuff comes with experience. And there's a there is an advantage in having been in these situations before and having huge. Yeah, uh, people. I mean, people listen, are I, I, that. I, I wouldn't play Hold'em for five months, and I'd come in and film a hundred k buy-in game, and and maybe I'd play a little online. I wasn't ready. I mean, whatever. There's lots of excuses. But I mean, you know, now I play a lot of high stakes poker. I'm completely used to it. I'm, I'm completely in my element and uh, comfortable. Nice. Let's let's talk about the World Series of Poker for a moment here. Bit of a weird year for the World Series of Poker. <laughs> Obviously, it's going to be in a different series of months. It's kind of weird to not have it during the summer. Obviously, last year it was based, it was canceled. So it's nice to have it. But having it in the fall time slot, it feels it feels kind of weird, right? It's not it's not something that uh, it just doesn't feel normal. It doesn't feel sort of right in a way. But we are looking like we're going to actually have it. I wanted to get your feedback on the changes or some of the rules regarding how tournaments are going to work because I'm seeing a lot of pushback from from people the way that they're going to handle this. And look, I don't know what the right way to handle it is. Is there a right way to handle it? I don't know. But it's looking like they have a pretty pretty full authority to pull people in out of tournaments as they sort of see fit. Uh, they did tweet an update a couple of days ago saying that um, basically if you have been exposed, but you have, you are fully vaccinated uh, with within the appropriate timing parameters and remain asymptomatic, then they'll let you stay. So it's kind of, it's kind of brutal for people who are not vaccinated. Uh, and I'm not trying to go down deep down the rabbit hole on vaccination. There are plenty of resources that people can, can look at, but typically speaking, is it, do you think it's okay for them to be making policies like this where, uh, it's going to pretty aggressively limit the ability for people that are not vaccinated. Because frankly, if you are not vaccinated, uh, how are you really supposed to play in this environment where they can just pull you because you're not vaccinated compared to people that are? It's, you know, it's really going to have a, a pretty drastic effect, I think, on the series. What are your thoughts? Phil, Phil, this is you to me. Phil, I don't really want you to get political comment on this stuff, but... Da, 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 twist, 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 twist. Would you please get political and comment on this stuff? Great to have you. I mean, really. Great to have you. Really a nice job, except that I decipher that shit too quickly. I'm like zip, 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 zip. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I do think so. Of course, I'm going to come with a more non-controversial answer. Um, 
non-controversial answer. And, and that is that um, um, I, I, actually, I actually feel bad for, it's actually very interesting to watch the world as we're watching it today with having whole groups not getting vaccinated and, and whole groups getting vaccinated, science versus non-science, but then other stuff, you know, twisted in. And so for me personally, um, of course, I got vaccinated as soon as I possibly could, but I would never tell someone else to get vaccinated. But then you read these articles about this or that or the other thing. And, you know, I, I don't know, to me personally, uh, to, to, for me to comment and say one thing, then I'm going to have a lot of people criticizing me or another thing, I have a lot of people criticizing me on this side. So, I mean, you really, I guess you're not going to get a good answer from me there. I will say for me personally, which is easy to address, and I hadn't thought about this at all until you asked the question, but it occurs to me that, that when I'm playing at the World Series of Poker, I will have a mask with me. And I think I have the super uncomfortable freaking thing that my wife got me, this N95, right? It's really uncomfortable with two like straps over it. As uncomfortable as that mask is, I will have it with me at the World Series of Poker. And sadly, I'm not saying I'll use it all the time. Sadly, the minute someone looks sick, that thing's going to be on. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, the minute someone looks sick, because I don't trust other people. And in specific, I don't trust other people when they have money on the line, where it's a negative free roll for them, right? Um, you can count on me personally that if, that if, I, if I'm on day two of a tournament and I feel like there's some chance I have COVID, like I will, uh, there's a good chance I'll just pull myself or I'll go have a PCR test. Now, I don't understand why they don't have PCR tests. These tests are cheap, you know, and you get, I mean, I don't know how many times I've, is it PCR? Is that the one that takes 90 seconds? I have had a test. They say it takes 10 minutes, but I've been tested a bunch of times with these tests. It takes 90 seconds to find out, right? And yeah, sometimes it's a false positive. Okay, so you spent $2 on the test spend another two and see if, you know, if it was a false negative or false, false positive. Right. So to me, uh, you know, it would be very simple. If someone seems sick, give them the $3 test. I don't understand why they don't have 10,000 tests there. That's $30,000. Are, are there shortages on those uh, testing kits? I, I, I'm not, I, at one point there was, but I think that might've been earlier. If it yeah, could be some kind of shortage. This that is might be months reason. from now, right? True. This is That's months true. from now. I mean, why in the world? Like, I mean, if I'm the World Series of Poker, I'm thinking, okay, we want the World Series of Poker. All the players want it. We all want to be there. Why don't you have these tests? And the minute someone starts coughing, it's not going to be perfect, right? Because someone may be carrying it, right? Someone may be carrying, uh, you know, I mean, listen, I was with Mike the Mouth Mattisau, uh on a Sunday night, like for a month ago or whatever, right? He, he seems like he's doing well, by the way. Yeah, we hung out all night together. And uh, we played, we went over and we played a Baccarat together at the Aria Hotel, Las Vegas. <laughs> we played nice. Baccarat, high stakes Baccarat together, splitting a little bit. You know, I was taking half of them, just messing, just for us, just having fun, really. And then I find out, you know, that was Sunday. I find out on Tuesday that he has COVID, you know, and I'm like, and people are like, why didn't you get it? You know, and it, maybe I got lucky. Maybe I had, you know, I didn't want the Moderna vaccine. I wanted the other one, the Pfizer, but I got Moderna. I mean, you just, I took what I could get. I signed up. I did and too. It turns out that, you know, there's a lot of articles out now, legitimate articles out in the last few days saying that Moderna is much better against Delta. And, uh, and then, you know, I have a concierge doctor, so, and I'm older. So 
I don't want to say old. I want to say older. <laughs> so, so, you know, you have your blood drawn once a year, whatever, and just a smart move. And it uh, turned out that, you know, that, that they measure that. And so I was really high. I was like 19. So even though I had the vaccine like six months ago, I'm super high in my protection still. And so, but it, it, it opens a whole can of worms, you know, and, and a can of worms, which basically everyone can see both sides of. I don't want to commit to either side, um, but I do think that a PCR test will work even if someone is not symptomatic, right? But then unfortunately there's going to be, you know, one person a, a week or once every two weeks that might be at your table, maybe. And, uh, and that person has COVID, but doesn't know they have COVID and has no good reason to know they have COVID. Another so, thing, another thing that can happen too here is false positives seem to happen a decent amount. Uh, I, I just know someone recently in they were about to travel somewhere. They got the test, tested positive. Oh shit. And then they said, I, didn't, I, don't, I feel no symptoms. They got retested a bunch of times. And every single one of them was negative. Yep. So I, I don't know at scale how much of that's happening, but let's say you show up at your tournament. You don't have COVID. It says positive. You have to set the day and lose your stack. That would be pretty infuriating for people. I think I get, everybody would t- everybody would ask for another two tests though, right? Yeah. But then are we going to let people in that? W- what's the line that you have to draw? Right. I mean, well, I mean, I would feel like if you're on day two or day three and you get and you get tested and it's positive, that you can demand that they spend three dollars on another test. Would be my opinion, but I mean, I know that the chances of of, of someone coming up with two of them is way less than one percent to have two to have two false positives. And you know what? And then maybe then maybe maybe charge the person for the third test because everyone's going to say, all right, if you want that third test, give us fifty dollars or a hundred dollars. It would be better. That pays for 33 tests and every poker player is going to say yes. And now the poker players themselves end up paying for the tests. That makes just sense. kind of, you know, you know, just kind do, of. Do you think it's an appropriate time for the world series to come back? I do. Yes, yes, yes. I listen the minute. I mean, my wife and I were on a flight to Vegas when, when we looked down and the president said, we don't have to wear any masks. Now, the interesting thing was that of the, of the 350 experts, not one of them thought it was the right time or expected this to come. No, of course, I, I, I personally and my friends thought maybe maybe it was an okay time for that, right? And then, you know, now there's new evidence, right? Uh, now there's new evidence with the with Delta kind of sweeping, but back then Delta was just emerging when they did that, and so it was really interesting too because literally when I arrived in Vegas, they had all the plastic stuff up, which I didn't notice really. It didn't bother me except poker. When you're playing blackjack, who cares if you have the plastic walls up or these other games? And then literally the next day they were gone. And after a few hours, I didn't, I'm like, oh shit, they're gone. And so, but now of course, Vegas, you have to wear masks. And so we'll do the best we can in poker, you know, in the world series, we'll do the best it can. And, you know, I think, I think if you talk to the players, probably upwards of 95% uh, want the world series of poker to come back in November. Um, and not saying that they're all that the same 95% say they're all going to play, but I think a lot of us want it to come back. And there's one other interesting thing, Doug, one other thing that even my friends uh, may have, well, well, let's leave, let's leave that off the table. There's one interesting thing they were expecting. This is very interesting because no one talks about this. They were expecting one more massive wave of COVID and then for it to disappear. Now people forget that's what they were expecting. So now according to some very smart people I've talked to, 
and we could be wrong, but that wave came months early. So what was it? A million, 1.2 million people a day are getting Delta variant right now or something. I mean, eventually it's going to, one theory is eventually it's going to run its course. Now everybody watching this is like, oh, Phil's wrong. He's wrong. He's wrong. He's wrong. Well, you know, the scientists, the really smart scientists might say, well, there's a lot of truth in what Phil's saying, or maybe they'll say I'm wrong, but, but, <clears throat> but I've talked to some really smart people that say, this is the last wave, you know, and, uh, and eventually we're going to end up with herd immunity. And so people are like, I mean, I've heard people say that October 1st, we're going to be in a much, we're going to be on the other side of this. Of course, COVID's never going away. I'm not saying that, but you know, uh, it feels like this is the big wave that we have to get through, you know, before I, I we have a chance to get back towards normalcy again. I certainly hope that's the case. I, I could see this going on for a very long time, given the cyclical nature of how this seems to spread. And, and now, of course, having a new variant outbreak and Lord knows what variants will operate next. So I, I don't know. I'm not the experts. I'm not going to predict what I think. It does feel like this is going to be a, a thing for some time, but maybe it'll be uh, at a much smaller scale. Uh, before we go here, I wanted to briefly talk about your hat. So it says Bitcoin Latinum. I did a little research about this. I'm confused how it's Bitcoin. Could you could you explain the project a little bit so that I can yes. understand what, 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 what I'm looking at? First of all, first of all, I am a paid advisor. And this is not investment advice, right? Because we haven't, you know, uh, that's that's what the SEC, you know. So that's it's fair for me to state that. You know, the thing that I like, the thing that the thing that's fun about, you know, Bitcoin Latin, several things. One, security, right? So we give you a metal credit card and a phone and a password, okay? And so you can only access your Bitcoin Latinum when you have all three. So. If you leave your credit card at home, you can't get to your Bitcoin Latinum. So it seems a little safer. Now, uh, we have signed deals. We have signed deals or we're working on signing deals with Marshall McLenahan. Marshall McLennan. So basically, if you have $30 million in Bitcoin Latinum and you're using our security system and it gets stolen, we replace it the next day. So that's one of the things we're talking about is insurance on the coin. That doesn't mean that you don't have to pay us 100000 a year for the insurance. But it does mean that you can protect a lot of money quickly once that deal with Marsh and McLennan is done. Uh, number two, it's, a, it's a supposed to be a hard fork. So I think that means that a lot of people will have Bitcoin Latinum. But, but don't quote me on that. that. That's not where I'm an expert. Uh, but I can comment on speed of use of the coin. So, And I can comment on how much we charge. So if you want to buy a Starbucks with Regular Bitcoin, the fee is about $10, right? Can be $20. It's a lot. So you buy your $4. But with our coin, the, the, we're, we're shooting for $0.10 cents as the fee. Now, another thing that's, that's interesting about this, Doug, is um, these guys are in the, pro- I'm going to say, in the process of, um, we may have already done it. I think we've already done it, but I can't. You know. They're in the process of raising $1 billion in cash. And cash equivalency, right? Whatever, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, cash, right? And so they're putting all in a trust somewhere. Okay. The money's in a trust. Every time you use a fee with Bitcoin Latinum, 80% goes into the trust. So 
if this gets widespread adoption, say there's a million transactions in a day with people buying Starbucks and whatever and getting insurance, right? Then you can imagine this billion dollars in the trust, in the foundation's trust, just getting to a trillion dollars, right? And uh, and so that's kind of exciting. So you know we have this we have this opportunity. And so you know people say, well, why didn't you release the the white paper a long time ago? You know, I mean, it made it look like it wasn't real, right? And the CEO is like, I'm not going to release this white paper to the last possible moment because you know everybody's going to copy us. Everybody's going to copy us. You know, so, I, I so I've looked at this, and I guess like I've just seen a lot of a lot of projects in the space that that I feel like that have failed, that have failed, but but also that I, I feel like it's misleading marketing because I just don't see how this is Bitcoin. I mean, I heard I, I read something it's called an, an enhanced hard fork. I I followed crypto for a long time. I don't exactly know what that even is. And it seems that you can buy, there's something out that you can be can be bought versus some kind of hard fork. I mean, if it's a fork, it should be everyone that has Bitcoin gets Bitcoin Latinum. And if it's not a fork, then it should be its own token that has its own sort of initial token event. I don't see how it can be a kind of mix of both. That doesn't feel very natural to me. And That's I also, fair. I also don't see why the name Bitcoin. It, it, this doesn't seem like it's Bitcoin. This or this isn't Bitcoin, right? This is something else. I mean, it does seem. Listen, I'm not. Listen, I, I should really, I should really, I should really be better educated on my own coin. So you can okay. slap me and say, Phil, Phil, I'm criticizing. I want to. I want you to, to to explain everything to me better than you're explaining it, which is fair. Um, and I know that the coin is scheduled to come out Labor Day weekend at twenty dollars a coin. Uh, which is interesting. I know that they've done a lot of pre-sale stuff. At uh, I know they sold out at at all these levels going up. I think they might have sold out at sixteen dollars or something now. Coin's supposed to come out at twenty, um, and so you know, I mean, the speed of transaction is it possible based on using exactly traditional models to have a speed that fast? That's a fair question, um, and but I think that they've. I think that. I think that uh, I think that the interesting thing is that our CEO was a technology CEO for 20 years. So if you come to me and you say, "Phil, this doesn't feel like a precise definition of Bitcoin; it feels more like a hybrid," then I'd be interested in having you know our CEO explain that to you because yeah, he'll I, a little better understanding. I know all the basics uh, behind it, um, but. But apparently, so, I don't know enough to answer your question, so I apologize for that. Yeah, I, I'm not doubting the the scaling solutions. So the, the most important thing with blockchains is you think about the people trend are of, doubting the scaling solutions. Well, the, and that might be true, but there's a thing called the trilemma problem, I believe, which is there's three aspects to blockchains that are important: security, scale, scale, and decentralization. And typically, as you get more of one, you get less of others. So if you're super secure, like Bitcoin. It's really hard to scale, and that's why it's expensive and it takes a while. It's not good at scaling because it's so secure. Um, if you're really decentralized, typically it's harder to to make changes that are needed to the network. So it's harder to to fix things as they go wrong. So typically that takes away from your ability to be uh, to at least to scale, maybe to some degree security as well. And then typically, um, as you, if you scale really fast, you have to make sacrifices and trade offs. So those are those are sort of like the the, the trade offs there. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I do guess, actually understand that. Yes. Okay, so so it's nice. I guess I just I just feel that the name Bitcoin is just not what this is because it's a, it's a pre-sale and people are buying tokens and that's fine. People can do whatever they want. I have no problem with with that. 
I just feels I just feel that I don't understand why the name Bitcoin is being thrown in here. It makes it seem like it might confuse noobs into thinking that it's Bitcoin when it is actually something different. I, I think the name is yeah, I my take I would I would love to again, talk with again, the, with those, the yeah. every everything you're saying is 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 completely fair. I, I wish that I had the CEO on here uh to answer your questions because you know listening to him talk about it is really cool and uh and to me it's cool. Uh, but again, I'm also you know, but but and I, I must say that I'm, I'm pretty excited to be involved with it, too. Uh, it's been fun for me because, you know, I haven't known enough about this. I've been on the sidelines uh, too long, you know, and watching you make all the money, Doug. Well, I, I try every day, Phil. Well, I'll tell you what. How about uh, you reach out to CEO, see if he's interested in coming on the pod. I'd love to talk to him. And and I also, you know, you, you've been great here today joining us. I, I don't. I don't want to be grilling you over something where it's obviously more of his vision. So I could ask him the, the harder hitting questions about it because I just want to protect people. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff in the space that absolutely people really, absolutely. really take advantage of. And I just want to, I just want to protect people as my man. Yeah. I was not hired to, I was not hired to raise money, you know? Um, so for this and so, um, but still some of my friends have asked and some of my friends have invested, you know? So, um, you know, it, it's been kind of fun for me. I went to my first uh, Bitcoin conference in Miami. Nice. Oh, yeah, the recent, fun. the recent one. Yeah. Nice. How do you like it? I loved it, but you won't like what I'm going to say next because I'm. Oh. What happened? <laughs> well, we wanted to meet the. You know, uh, we wanted to get. We wanted to at least talk to the Winklevoss brothers, and I got to them pretty quickly, which was fun. It turns out they're friends with a lot of my friends, but uh, I put some pictures on my unreasonable twitter with the winkle plus brothers if you if you have <laughs> and, a cool story right like that Phil, phone number and, that's uh, that's fine if you have a cool story like that i'm just because it's but that's that's naturally within the course of, you know what i'm saying that was a natural that wasn't that wasn't uh, that was, that, was that was quite was reasonable i know but but that's my life every story i tell is naturally within the <laughs> oh it's getting less reasonable by the moment <laughs> Okay, okay. okay. But I've had so much fun, and their party was pretty cool. I mean, they—you can just imagine what their party was like. But we couldn't spend that much time there. We had a bunch of other stuff we had to do. But it was kind of fun. Uh, I liked—I really had a a lot of fun at the conference and ran into some a lot of people I knew and some really cool new friends down there. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, I think they're going to have them to Miami. Will Smith dancing around. All right, a nice way to end this. Uh, Phil, I, cars, everybody got them. I, I don't, unfortunately. One That's day, a bigger brag a long time ago. They're right, 100,000 cars, everybody got them. Welcome to Miami. I just watched the uh, ca- the cocaine cowboys on Netflix. You seen that before? You no. heard of that? It's about the, the two guys that really ran the cocaine game in Miami in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and the, and the, it's, it's, a, it's a great series. If you haven't checked that out, it, it's, oh, it's a I'm fun gonna, one. I'm gonna check it out. It's good, you, you'll like it. Uh, it's it, it's a fun one. I'd recommend so it. We're wrapping up well. here. We're wrapping up, man. I want to say thank you for joining us today and uh, appreciate uh, all your thoughts, all your takes. And uh, I'm definitely interested to see how these heads up battles continue to go because uh, it's interesting seeing the clash of styles. And I think that when you think back on, you think about fighting, right? MMA, boxing, styles, right? Styles make fights. And, and what's interesting when you play, regardless of people's take on your ability or if it's, if it's genius or or whatever it is, whatever their thoughts are. Uh, you can use the other word. Genius or stupid. Eh, whatever. It's fun. 
it's fun to see. It creates good. Uh, it creates very watchable hands that people enjoy, and uh, I'm looking forward to to seeing what happens well, in the future. It matches. challenges people, right? If you're watching like two standard guys play, it, it's like I expect that, I expect that, I expect that. When you're watching me play, it's a little bit like, what's he trying to do here? <laughs> Not sure I agree with this. Not sure I agree with that. <laughs> what's he trying to do here? You definitely get to see some stuff you wouldn't see with anyone else. That's that's for sure. All right, Phil, thank you very much for joining today. I don't think that's a compliment. I don't know. Of, of like course. It. Of course. <laughs> also, by the way, you said earlier, Doug, you've been mean to me in the past. You've made a comment that was like that. And I try to just be fair. If I if I feel like something is is mean, I try to be purposeful. You were a little bit mean when Mike and I, when Mike Madison and I played in L.A. You know, Oh, that hand was ridiculous. Okay. That was a little mean. I didn't even call. I mean, you know, but what Mike did, I can't help it. If the idiot was complaining, yeah, I didn't even catch that. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, okay, but Phil, if you were in a hand and and you were all in, and two other guys were in the hand, and one of them said what he had to the other guy, basically, that'd be fucked up, right? People do that all the time. You know, it's a, it's whining or lamenting. I mean, but is he lamenting the fact that he would have made three deuces or a flush? I mean, you know, it felt like that was a little bit mean. I mean, some of the words you used, like you could have handled that one a little bit. Okay. I, I will, of course, always accept responsibility for maximally packaging for the most punch. I a hundred percent. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you at any, in any capacity. Packaging for the, for the big punch hurt somebody though, a little bit more than you fair, intended. Fair. That's fair. But well, Mike, should, Mike, Mike shouldn't have done that though. Right. I, he should shouldn't have done that. By, by the way, Mike did not have a piece of me. Just to be very clear. Well, I think people knew that already, but it's also good to make sure well, that's clear. <laughs> Just to be clear. <laughs> I, I, I'm I folded. Not... That's why I was mad. I folded anyway. So I thought I made a bad lay down. And then Doug said this. Fuck. I mean, I got punched here, punched there, lost my money and criticized on top of it. So anyway, whatever. People weren't upset with you there, though. They were upset with Mike. It's true. Sure. You, what are you supposed to do? Have him not say something? It's not your fault. There's nothing to do with you, right? It's hard to get him not to talk, by the way. It is. I actually, I ran into Mike in Austin. I just moved to Austin recently. And yeah, yeah. He, he was uh, at one. I just wanted to check out the local rooms. Can I see what's up? And uh, I ran into him and he looked like he was doing really good, man. He, he He's obviously walking again out of, out of the scooter. And he looks, I think he's looked like, like he's lost a little bit of weight. He had just been downtown. He was doing something uh, talkative, chatty as always. Maybe that maybe that doesn't mean anything. Um, but he, I think he, he, he has a really good heart, right? And then sometimes, yeah. sometimes, sometimes he gets off his meds, which he you his words. Sometimes he gets off his meds, goes a little bit crazy in, in whatever whatever dimension it is. And then, you know, but I think us in the poker world, we all really like him a lot and we all really appreciate him a lot. So that's another guy I should have on as a guest. That'd be a great one. So I'll I'll, I'll hit Mike up actually after this and we'll try and schedule something. But um yeah, great, great hanging out, Phil. It's good. We we I, I miss the the older days where we would we'd go to all the same stops and remember we did that tequila commercial together. Oh, sorry, Mezcal was it tequila or Mezcal? Yeah, 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 yeah. Trusted and then, friend, Kimosabi. And you and I had so much fun. We had so much fun when we had dinner in Pittsburgh, I think it was, or one of those stops. It was so much fun, and we just and I was like, ever since then, and we had a nice dinner in New York, you and I. And ever since then, I've been like, God, I really like Doug a lot, you know. And we get along well. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever said anything negative about you ever in public. Um, stop attacking me. And you really have. <laughs> oh, okay. 
<laughs> you were if, if, if it's if it's fair, you can attack me. I, I, that's that's fine. I've never I've never really come after you for something that was totally unwarranted and just a random attack on you as a person. I've never done that. You know, I mean, you you are looking for extra views. I also think I also think you know it, it kind of you know watching you and Daniel fight, and I like both of you guys. You know, I was like, come on, guys. You know, I mean, I know what you said. You know, I mean, I wish. Yeah, I'm not. You know what? I shouldn't have even brought that up. But just well, we're good say, now. Me, me and Daniel are cool. We we chat all the time. It's we're. Yeah, good. I mean, I, I felt like that's. I felt like that's where you guys needed to get. So you know, to, to you're kind of two of the bright lights of poker. So two great players, and it's better, I think, when everybody in the poker world gets along to the extent they can get. It, there's there's a mix. I think sometimes it's good for there to be some some confrontations. Uh, I think for sure. the uh, audience for sure. enjoys that. Although there's always the the skeptics that this is all staged. Those people are too funny to me. You think you think that that the years of of me and Negranu, mainly me bashing him, but a bit of both. You think that was staged? We were, we, oh, this will be great. People will really enjoy this. No, of course no, it was. Of course not. Yeah. Not one person in the poker world thought that was staged. Oh, I I'm gonna. That is not true. There are plenty of people online that, that thought that it was staged. And then when we had our first live session and we were nice to each other, people thought, oh man, I thought there was going to be shouting at each other and yelling and insults. What's this bullshit? They're nice. This is not what I signed up for. I wanted blood. There was a bunch of that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I think, yeah, yeah. I, I better just stay away from that. I'm, I'm happy. I'll say this. I'll stick with, I'll stick with positivity. I'm okay. glad you guys are getting along well. Can you, before we go, one last question, Phil, can you give me the, uh, the origin of positivity? Where did that first come from? Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think my mom had this thing on the bathroom mirror when I grew up it was, you are what you think you become what you think, what you think becomes reality. And that you are what you think you become, what you think, what you think becomes reality. That taught me from a very early age that I can create my own reality. Right. So I started thinking really big, right. I mean, if you believe you can create your own reality, you're going to be reaching, right? And then through time in 1987, I think, I wrote down all of these kind of important life tips that I figured out early in life, right? Wrote them down. And half of the book, half of this book is from that. So, you know, you take Poker Brat, right? And I decided, I mean, I feel a little bit like Ayn Rand, right? Uh, you take Poker Brat, which is my autobiography, which is filled with a lot of positivity. And you take those eight life tips and you ground them down to this. This book takes 70 minutes to read. We've timed it. If you listen to the audio version, 70 minutes. So these eight life tips are what I learned, right? Like, you know, the number one life tip I can share with the people watching right now that changes people's lives, write down your yearly goals, your 2021 goals, write them on a sheet of paper, rewrite them, take a couple of days, get them in order and tape them on your bathroom mirror. Now that changes people's lives. People come up to me. I get people come to me all the time, all over the world. And they say, you changed my life. I had the number one and two goals on my calendar, on my, on my goal sheet. And why does that help? Because, because in the morning, when you get up, when you're, when you, when you have all of your power, when you're fresh and you're, you know, brushing your teeth and your hair and whatever people do in the morning in the bathroom mirror, you read that list a bunch of times, right? Here's my goals. You read it, you read it, you read it. And eventually you stop reading it after three weeks, two weeks, but your unconscious and subconscious mind sees that. And so you leave the house every single day 
And the forefront of your mind, whether it's unconscious, subconscious, wherever, is your number one goal. And so that's all. And, and then and because it's in your mind, you see shortcuts. If it's not in your mind, you don't know what your goals are. But if, if it's in your mind, you're going to see shortcuts. You're going to be like, wait a minute. You know, um, you know, an example I give of this is, you know, um, an example I give of this, Doug, is, is, is there's two people, you know, living next to each other. Right. And, and, and one guy says, hey, these are the perfect eight reasons why why I should start a sports bar and then lays it all out to his wife and kids and then says, Martha, please pass, the, you know, the potatoes. Right. Or and please pass the piece is, is what we use. That that specific statement came from a, a billionaire friend of mine. Martha, please pass the piece. The idea is dead. Next door, the same guy, another guy says, these are the eight reasons why I want to stop the sports bar. But this guy makes one small change from the other guy. He says, I'm going to stop by my favorite sports bar on the way home tomorrow after work. And he does. And he opens that door to that sports bar. But it's a figurative door. It's a literal door. But figuratively speaking, behind that door exists eight other, eight other doors. So the one guy is never giving himself a chance to achieve this dream. The other has walked into the sports bar. You could tell me, I, I could say, Doug, name the seven doors that exist behind that. And you'd be like, well, this, 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 this. He could raise capital. He could take over this guy's bar. Right. And so, you know, I teach people um, to frame their goals and to go for them. And that's what I've done my whole life, Doug. So. You know, I've written like I had I had this goal sheet, you know, uh, win more, you know, become the greatest poker player of all time. You know, arguably I'm there, you know, um, for now. Um, you know, I did it by, by I thought I had to win World Series of poker tournaments to get there. Um, you know, I, I had a goal to write a New York Times best Times bestseller. I did that. I got I was lucky. I wrote play poker like the pros. Some guy held it up on ESPN. Boom. It's on the New York Times bestseller list. You know, I wanted to meet and marry an amazing woman. 32 years I've been with my wife. I wanted, you know, just some simple stuff. I wanted a, a nice house. I bought a penthouse condominium a few months after, after writing that goal sheet. I mean, one of the best places in Madison, Wisconsin. I wanted a nice car, bought a couple of those. And so, you know, that, that very simple goal sheet that you write when you're 22, 23, hit it. So for the people listening to this, you know, basically just write down your goals, 2021 goals, right? And keep it on your bathroom mirror and then tweet me when you achieve the first goal because so many people have. That's awesome. That's it. Those are good, good closing words. I think that's awesome advice. And uh, again, pleasure to have you on today, Phil. Thanks for taking the time. See you, Doug. All right. See ya. It's going to be it for us guys here uh, at the podcast. Thank you for joining. We're going to have Brian Pellegrino on in a couple of weeks. Uh, otherwise, it's Primordial AA online for some poker and crypto talks. Should be good. I'll see you guys then. Have a good one.